hear my voice today and you don't hear my intro, it's because of the station. But it is my prayer that you are living life to your fullest. And more importantly, it is my prayer that you want to continue living life in a way that you see fit. And in a way that you can remain free wherever you are. It's summertime here in Hartford and back in Harlem for that matter. And it's a time that a lot of people like to spend with their family and friends. And you can count me into that group. Recently, I've had some extra time to spend with my oldest son, who is now a man at 25 years old. And he may be my son, but he's different than I am. He's a part of the generation behind me. I'm Generation X. My son is Generation Z. My son is a millennial. Those from the millennial generation have different views on the world than my generation does. In my day, college was the way for black underclass to educate themselves in America. You weren't doing good in your life unless you went to college back then. Remember all the movies, South Central, Boys in the Hood, Dead Presidents? Back in the day, all the good black boys who had a future all went to college. But nowadays, millennials and those generations after them, they look at college as a scam. And why not? Why else would a college tuition go up such as it has? Between 2000 and 2021, Average tuition and fees at colleges have jumped by almost 70%. Who can justify that? And now people are coming out of college who can't even afford to pay their loans. So something is broken with our higher education system. So maybe the millennials are right. Back in my day, to make a buck, Generation X basically signed our lives away to employers. We couldn't smoke weed because we had to be ready for the drug test. In order to get a salary, we had to adhere to policies that kept us in an unhealthy office, mostly sitting down, five days a week or more. You see, there used to be this thing called commuting to work. That was a thing. But millennials and those generations after them see it differently these days. No millennial I know would even consider coming to any office for f five days of any week in their life, unless the office is their bedroom. <laughs> and if you drug test the millennial, you're just going to find out that they smoke weed. So why waste your money? Because if you just simply ask any millennial, they will tell you they smoke weed without shame. I'm serious. At least back in the days we used to hide. These kids these days, they will just tell you if, they, if you ask them. And back in the day, I'm very ashamed to say that we made fun of gay people. A kid couldn't have come to school in a dress when I was in high school. Thank God we moved on for that, from that because the millennials feel differently, generally speaking. Anyway, I say all this to mention that my son and I disagreed recently. And it wasn't on the topic of college or weed or gay people. These are topics on which he and I mostly agree. It was on another hot topic of father-son debates across America. It was on the topic of race. You see, another place where millennials stand elsewhere from their older counterparts is on the topic of race. Millennials and the generations behind them see race differently than we do. And thank God they do. But that's not my point. My point is that during the disagreement and ensuing argument my son and I had, he looked me in the eyes and called me bitter. <laughs> my friends, I, have to get, I had to give the kid credit. Because I couldn't deny that. I can't deny it now. I would never deny being bitter. I can't deny it because I've lost things and people that I've loved. And I've lost them in ways that I believe they'd be unfair. I carry bitterness naturally, and I don't fight it generally, because I believe it motivates me to do things that other people won't do, like start a radio show, for example. I'm bitter over lost relationships, so that motivates me to spread more love in order to bring more love into my life. I'm bitter over getting beat by cops and abused by the judicial system, so I became a criminal defense attorney, and bitterness is what keeps me visiting people who are locked up as a criminal defense attorney, even when I'm not getting paid. I'm bitter over my perceived childhood poverty, so I've become very generous as a result. Most of all, I'm bitter over a lost son named Simon who died before he was able to turn one year old. As a result, this show has adopted a very special charity to address the syndrome that killed him. It's called Team Vienna. You'll hear about cha the charity at the end of the show. But I've viewed my bitterness as a positive thing so far. I feel it's motivated me. But a millennial may see things differently. My son would probably ask, why carry bitterness at all? Why would anyone need to carry such a negative emotion in order to motivate them to do good? After all, bitterness destroys us, does it not? And it may be, my friends, that the millennials are right once again about this and many other forms of dogma that we are stuck to. 
Hell, I was actually told that a bowl of cereal was actually good for me as a child. Anyway, we have a lot of people in the studio today who will all be bitter if I don't kick the show off just right. So here we go. <clears throat> Welcome to the Jamal Show. Welcome to Saturday, that is. This is the Jamal Show, the place to get intelligent, live and on your favorite podcasting network. My name is Jamal. I'm an inter- attorney and an information junkie from Harlem, and I'm passing the fruits of my illness on to you. And be easy, there's no vaccine to avoid. As for me, I'm your listener guide, mostly along for the ride, coming through the Hartford Studios of WKND, and I'm doing that live, not for just a season, but for a reason. Got to say hello to the Archbishop from Mac Urban Talk Radio. He's producing this show, and you got to go through him to get me on the phone lines, that is. Oh, you know what? I, I totally forgot to play your applause. Let me see if I can get that out. There you go. That's how we feel about you here on the radio. So th- thank you for being here. Oh, Dr. Alfonso Mack is not here in the studio with us today, and we can all, we can all applaud that. Um, so congratulations to us for Dr. Mack's absence. But unfortunately, he will be back for our next broadcast, so make sure you enjoy this one before he comes back, liberals. I think Mack's actually in New York right now going to see Hamilton again. Is that right, John? That's my um, understanding. He's certainly a man who doesn't mind repeating himself, but in Dr. Mack's place, we are lucky to have therapist Nicole Mayweather-Banks with us. And Nicole, you definitely deserve some applause, so we'll give you that too. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Nicole. We were going to lunch afterwards. Happy Saturday. Thank you. Somehow we're able to convince Attorney Emeritus John Rose to come by. In the past, he has been general counsel for both Hartford and New Haven. Welcome to you, Attorney John Rose. Thanks for appearing to come. My pleasure to be here. There you go. There you go. Okay, let's move on. Tell your daughter I said hi. Moving on. It's been like a month since we last broadcast. The last time we talked was like three weeks ago. The theme was the right thing. That podcast is up. It was good. You should listen to it. Today, I'm talking about bitterness, my own and that of others. And how will I accomplish that? Well, just like I always do it, by scheming and planning on how to get you all more intelligent. And it isn't easy with people taking tours to the bottom of the ocean in a tin can. Hey, John, you want to go on a submarine ride with me? Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I put the submarine together myself in my backyard. I'm sure you did. No registrations (laughs) necessary. But if you aren't trying to do that, I will remind you that this broadcast will soon be up on every podcast network that ever existed. Of course, that makes me a very handsome liar, but it's a lie that we can all make true with your help. So please share the gift of the Jamal Show with a loved one, and I promise you more intelligence instead of fireworks on July 4th. Lastly, please note that my views do not represent the views of this station. I say that with vigor. Because the owner of the station makes me say it, and I think it's in my contract to say it, but I never actually read the contract, so who knows. Now, remember, my friends, you can call and join this verbal protest at any time, but please leave your bitterness at home or else my producer will tell you that you've called the wrong number. For your information, the station number is 860-218-2173, 860-218-2173. Many people have called. At least some of them have survived, so don't worry too much. By the way, you can also call that number if you need an attorney that doesn't suck. That would be me. The email address to the show is jamalshowradio at gmail.com. I know you want a break, and I will impose one upon you right now with some rather interesting music from a young man named Perplexer. This tune is called One Minute Freestyle Beat. Really interesting. When we come back, I will allow the other guests in the room to speak, if they so please. And what we will speak about is the bitterness that exists on the Supreme Court. You know about the Supreme Court, right? Attorney Rose? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm bitter about them. Yeah, yeah. The Affirmative action, student loan forgiveness, and LB, L, I always mess this up. LGBTQ rights. I'm going to get her raised. You're going to go from zero to somewhere. Meet me on the other side of God, y'all. Let's hope this works.
You know, you really have to believe in what you're doing in life in order to better get through it. That's really the message of this show. That's what this show is all about. And we hope you believe in the message as much as we do, which is why we're hoping that you'll take this opportunity to support us through coffee.com. That's K-O-F-I.com backslash The Jamal Show. Please join us there. Consider buying us a coffee. We need the caffeine to keep this show running and to keep telling the truth, quite honestly. So why don't you join us, and we'll give you a nice shout-out on the next broadcast. Join us at coffee.com. That's K-O-F-I.com backslash The Jamal Show. We'd really appreciate any support you can give us. Thank you very much. Well, all a little rusty here at the Jamal Show. Hello again, my friends. That song is called One Minute Freestyle Beat by a young man who calls himself Perplexer. A very interesting name. It's my first time playing that song, and you can find it wherever you stream your music. Check him out, and remember you heard him first on the Jamal Show, the place to get intelligent. Again, if you want to call in, the number is 860-218-2173. Moving on, it is most definitely a pleasure to have you back with us on the Jamal Show on WKND and on podcasts, even with all the technical difficulties. We love you. Now I'm going to make a bold statement that the U.S. Supreme Court seems to be acting out of bitterness on behalf of a certain segment of the population, a certain MAGA segment. That certain segment of the population thinks black people have had too much power and opportunity. That segment of the population doesn't think diversity is a good thing at all. They believe that many black people who are in college don't actually belong there. They take a position that black people have been given too many breaks in America that are undeserved. But it's not just black people they wish to restrict. This MAGA segment of the population also thinks that the queer revolution has gone a little bit too far. They don't think gays should be married. This is the segment of the population that is now most represented by the actions of the Supreme Court in the last few days while releasing three major opinions. And they don't believe that women ought to have control of their bodies. Let's start with the first opinion uh, about uh, affirmative action. And let's see if we can get this right this time, right? We begin tonight with the Supreme Court striking down affirmative action and reshaping college admissions. In a 6-3 to three decision, the justices ruled that Harvard University and the University of North Carolina violated the Constitution by considering race when deciding whether to admit someone to their school. A landmark case overturning nearly 50 years of precedent. The latest example of the conservative majority redefining American law. The ruling means higher education institutions will need to come up with new ways to create diverse students. Now, before I pass it on to you, John, because you've been around a little bit, I want to start by saying that I remember when Bill Clinton promoted affirmative action. It was a policy that tried to aid underrepresented minorities to get into situations where they would find opportunity that wasn't normally made available to them. I have not only supported affirmative action policies, but I am a product of affirmative action myself. Uh, I am a high school dropout who doesn't even have a GED, who was later allowed to enter enter and thrive at Syracuse University, one of the top schools in the country. I was definitely an affirmative action student because there weren't any other reasons to choose me. I had no merit other than the fact that the administration thought that I was very smart for my interview. Um, But I had been arrested numerous times by the time I attended Syracuse University. And I don't even think they did a background check before my admission. My father hates when I tell people I'm a high school dropout because I think that he thinks... That it reflects bad fatherhood, but that wasn't true in my case. My being a dropout had nothing to do with his lack of effort. And that is the normal story you hear. Kid from the projects is led into a great university because of his skin color. Then you hear the kid is the kid was unprepared for college, so he failed out. The story that story is the most told story about black people because they say that black people fell out because they're supposedly unprepared. But that's not what happened to me. I excelled. I studied abroad in Africa. I won the university's most prestigious uh, honor, uh, the Remembrance Scholarship. I won that. I wrote a column for the newspaper for five years straight. I started a radio talk show, much like the one I have now. I was involved in the leadership of several organizations, including the NAACP. I graduated with a double BS in finance and journalism. But if if I had applied today, I would never have been admitted. I would have been laughed off the campus. Later in my life, I applied to law school, I graduated, and now I service many people who have been dealt the wrong hand with justice. But I wouldn't be in this position right now without affirmative action. That's the truth. And I say this while knowing it is not a perfect program. For example, it can be said that I come from an upper-class family, son of a doctor and a judge, the judge that freed Meek Mill, for example, in fact. 
But this was a main criticism of affirmative action, that it only helped the, upper, uh, the black upper crust of society. Still, I can't help but wonder what happens now. Now, Attorney Rose, you've been around almost as long as I have. Ooh, ooh, please. What's, <laughs> what's your take I graduated on... graduated high school in 1959. Okay, that might have been before <laughs> I was born. But what's your take on the Supreme Court decision? Oh, God. Um, I suppose the first point is that it really overrules 50 years of other Supreme Court rulings. Right. Every time the court or a court attacks another court's decision and determines to undo it, it, it deserves real reflection. Because who gets impacted? People who are getting impacted are the people who came along after you, after me, who ought to be allowed to go to school. I went to Dartmouth College. Great school, Se- I believe, right? 700, mm-hmm, 750 right. young men, two blacks. Class after me, one. I went to Yale Law School. I got, st- I'm, 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 I came from 12 kids, Poe as church mice. Okay, but we didn't get, I didn't get into the school because they didn't have affirmative action when I went. Dartmouth now has 40% of its class is people of color. That's good. It's good to educate uh, people of color. It's good to educate young children who don't have an opportunity to go anywhere. You can, if, you, if your family makes less than $150,000 a year and you get into Dartmouth, you go for free. That That's is fantastic. Bad? How can that be bad? That is fantastic. I want to point out that this affirmative action decision doesn't eradicate all affirmative action, just affirmative action in colleges. But don't, won't they be coming for the rest of it? Like, isn't that the way history works? That like, is the way yeah. history works. It's open the doors. So, Nicole, what's your take on this decision? Are you an affirmative action baby like I am? Tell me the story. Um, I don't think so. I think that when I went to school, I don't, I don't feel like I got in because of affirmative action. Um, the school that I went to, I went to Springfield College. I graduated from Springfield College, and my class was really diverse. Um, we had a, a good portion of our class were um, people of color. Uh, so, no, I don't think that I was a person of affirmative action in that case. You don't hear stories like mine very much because the story that's promoted is of the black college student that's unprepared, that fills out, and, you know, you hear about the football players or what have you. But as if the affirmative action debacle wasn't enough, uh, the Supreme Court had something to say about Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. And I just want to play this because this is very relevant, and a lot of people don't know that it is or why. Um, and let's, let's try this one. We do begin here with the justices striking down President Biden's controversial student debt relief plan that would forgive student debts for more than 43 million Americans at a cost of $400 billion. Terry, break down the decision. And a lot of this had to do with the Biden administration overstepping its authority. That's right. And this is a huge case. As you say, 43 million people were eligible for up to $10,000 of debt relief under this program, the Supreme Court strikes that down because it says that President Biden and the Secretary of Education exceeded the authority that the law passed by Congress gave them. So Biden wanted to give student loan holders a break, and the Republicans stopped him because why? Well, Republicans said that the student loan forgiveness policy was stealing money from poor people to give it to the rich. I heard you laughing there, Mr. Attorney yeah, Rose. Yeah, yeah, you did. Um, but we all know that rich people don't take out school loans, do they? Mm. Right? On the other hand, I'm going to reveal something to, to my black audience today. Not many people know that the majority of all higher education student loans really go to black people. I didn't know that, actually, until yesterday. Um, and the biggest chunk of those student loans actually go to black women. So... And that makes sense if you think about it. Many black people have had their family wealth robbed from them, robbed, stolen from them over the past hundred years. So obviously blacks are the ones who need student loans the most if they wish to advance their education. Am I right? That makes sense? So what a coincidence that the Republicans are against something that seems so helpful to black working class people. Does that surprise you, Attorney Rose? No, nothing surprises me about this, <laughs> to be perfectly frank with you. you know, uh, the whole notion of, of flooding the court with people who think the way that the Trump type think is what's happened. We've allowed that to happen. Unfortunately, in, very, in altogether too much measure, too many black judges, too many liberal judges have stayed too long on the Supreme Court and not left when there was a Democratic president who thought like them, who could have replaced them with someone who thought like them. For those, of those, for those who don't pay attention to politics, this kind of goes back. 
you know Attorney Rose, you know law just like I do. And this kind of goes back to uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, doesn't it? Yes, it does. She stayed I mean, too long. I mean, with I mean, all due respect to love her, but she stayed too long. Now, now, a lot of people don't pay attention to small things like this, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg was on her deathbed when, uh, at the end of the Barack Obama's um, um, his term, and people were telling her, "Hey, maybe you should resign now." And she was like, "Oh no, no, I'll, I'll hold on." Because Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't resign on her deathbed, we've now seen the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Abortion is not legal in every state in America right now because Ruth Bader Ginsburg would not leave um, the Supreme Court when she was on her deathbed. So this stuff matters. And there are no term limits on the Supreme Court. So these three people that Trump put on, I mean, I mean, Amy Coney Barrett is like 39 or something, right? <laughs> and, and you look at the Chief Justice, he looks ro- robust and he'll you know, be there for freaking uh, ever. Uh, God help us, the, the, Chief, the Chief Justice is actually our friend right now. Chief Justice Roberts has kept a lot of bad stuff from happening, and he was actually um, placed to be a conservative, you know what I'm saying? So it's actually interesting. Nicole, have you been at all affected by these student loans? Have they helped you get to your education um, at all? Yeah, they've helped me get to my education. Um, they're not helping me pay them back. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it would have been really nice if that didn't if that didn't get struck. So out. you would have benefited from this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would have benefited from this. Um, you know, with with everything with COVID, right? Everything um, with the employment. So I'm still trying to bounce back from that as well. So that money would have been really helpful um, towards my student loans. See, what kills me is that I don't know how you um, come against this, like. Where's the guy that's like, you know what, I don't want to give students a break. You know what I'm saying? Who, who, where are these people coming from that are like, and, and they made a deal in the debt ceiling where they were like, well, we're not going to delay the payments anymore until January. We want them to pay earlier in October. Who's getting hurt by this? Who's like, you know what? Together, Jamal, huh? right? So it all ties in together. We're talking about the affirmative action at colleges. Right. So if black people are not able to get in, those who are able yeah. to get in, they're not going to be able to afford it afterwards. Right. So it's going to keep the cycle. So it, it's all ties in together. All of these things that are struck down are right being targeted towards marginalized populations. Now, I will tell you that I have student loans. Um, a lot of my friends have paid them off. John, I, I I imagine yours are paid off, but <laughs> I, I paid mine off. Yes, <laughs> you know, all, were very high all, all, back then. All four hundred and fifty dollars of them. Oh, <laughs> you know what I'm I remember I went to two Ivy League colleges a long time ago, but they were expensive even back then. Oh really? Oh yeah, I paid a lot of money back to the and, and world. I had no money. I was a, one of twelve kids. Yeah, you were one of twelve kids. That's right. And and a tip of the hat to you because you actually made it to Yale without affirmative action. Mm. Something that I didn't do at a Muslim lesser school. So I'm just wondering who was opposed to giving people a break. I, I, I'm wondering who raised their hand to that. Like, nah, I, I, make a pay it up front. I, what is, I, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out why does the Supreme Court give a rat's ass? That's a good Isn't question. Is this a good thing? I mean, they the don't president is trying oh, yeah, to do something to, get, to allow children to go to school. That's bad. And the thing about the pulling back of the student loan forgiveness is that this is going to make um, banks more testy about learning and education. Yeah. So this just makes it harder for blacks to go to school again, right? Which is not, I mean, funny how Republicans were so against this, because as Joe Biden pointed out yesterday, that's my man, Joe Biden, by the way, um, the Republicans totally supported the PPP loans during the the COVID epidemic. And I know, because I made some money filling out those applications, but the PPP loans costed $700 billion. That's almost twice what this forgiveness would have cost. You know, but you know what I'm sick of, or um, I'm really sick of. I hate to hear this thing about whether well, student loan forgiveness policy was unfair to people who paid off their loans and never went to college. You know what that reminds me of, Attorney Rose? That reminds me of every law ever written. Yeah, ever written. Every tax law, for example, affects some people and not others. Absolutely. You know, I get to pay taxes that you don't get to pay sometimes, and sometimes you get to pay. That's every law. Every law affects some people and screws others. That's what every law And is. if you make enough money, you don't pay any taxes at all. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, I mean, uh, yeah, Amazon, Jeff Bezos, what have you. Finally, as if the Supreme Court needed to offend one more group of people, 
There was this LGBTQ rights decision. Listen close, because uh, you need to hear this one. And let me make sure I get this right. This is, hell of, a, this is the, the hell of an end of the term. case involving a familiar challenge here. The question, whether businesses can refuse service to LGBTQ customers because doing so would violate the business owner's First Amendment rights. This was a six to three decision. The Supreme Court rules for a Christian web designer who objected to making wedding websites for same-sex couples. And we're going to go back to Devin Dwyer on this one. A significant and sweeping decision with and surprising many of us who have covered the court uh, on this issue from some time. You know, the First Amendment prohibits the government from forcing any of us from saying anything we don't want to say. At the same time, civil rights laws in this country say that businesses that are open to the public have to serve everybody. Uh, but what the court said today is that businesses, in some cases, can refuse to serve certain customers if doing so would force them to say something they don't want to say, like a business who designs websites, a stationer, maybe even uh, someone who is landscaping your yard. If that is an expressive, customized, and tailored service, Neil Gorsuch said that the government cannot force you uh, to do that business with someone that you don't want to do. This is a big deal. This I'm, I'm, I've, I've got my middle finger raised. <laughs> That's kind of what I think of, of, of Neil Gorsuch's stupid-ass decision. I mean, let me just say... This is really groundbreaking because it's the first time in history the Supreme Court has said, hey, if you don't like this group of people over here, it's okay to kick them out your store. Mm. Not because they're doing anything wrong or, or stealing, but simply because you don't like what they're doing with their private lives as citizens. I, don't, I can't remember. Um, there was someone that was previously what they refused to bake a cake. Or do a wedding cake for a gay couple. Yeah, I can't so remember. And they lost it. Yeah, that, that was the first case. Okay. Right, that was, was the first that case. The Supreme Court? I think it was no standing. Okay. And I think that was no standing. Uh -huh. And it's funny because this should have had no standing. Because this woman that refused to make websites, she didn't have a website and she wasn't approached by gay people. Who cares about her? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did she right. get to the freaking no, the Supreme right, Court? The Why? Right, the right wing <laughs> put together a case and made her the center of it on purpose just to bring the case to the Supreme mm. Court while there were conservative justices on the Supreme Court. I mean, but think about this. This is a class of people and the Supreme Court is saying, hey, you don't want to serve these guys? That's fine. Right. You know, it's fine. So check this out. This goes even deeper because here in America, gay marriage is legal. Right? Meanwhile. It's, 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 it's legal meanwhile. in the whole United States <laughs> and yet the Supreme Court said, hey, but if you don't want to serve a gay marriage person, that's cool. You know what I'm saying? Now, this very same thing happened in the 60s too. Black people, right? In the 50s and 60s, yep, black people. Why had the sit-ins or what have you. And what, was, what, what had to be written as a result of this? The Civil Rights Act, right? Which was a, a, a series of several bills and laws that were passed to protect black people from what's called public accommodations um, discrimination. Mm -hmm. Meaning that if you publicly accommodate, you can't exclude certain people. Certain groups of people. Well, we went through this as well back when, um, when the, during the great, yeah, great, the gay rights movement back right. during Stonewall times. The same thing, right? Um, being able to have access to, you know, all the rights that other people have access to. Um, so, you know, we've been through this before. I think, you know, this individual with the business, what they're doing is they're giving her the opportunity to make her personal choice. And regardless, right? Regardless to what what the even if the Supreme Court said she wasn't right, she still has right. She can still go back and discriminate against gay and, and gay people because right. we don't know. I think it goes. It comes down to the individual. Yes, policies and laws are important, but it's really important to educate individuals on how they're doing business. It's so amazing how you're saying this without feeling personally offended because um, I don't really know that many gay married people, but I know one, and she's sitting next to me. <laughs> That's me. So you. As a gay married person, Nicole, mm -hmm. you've got to take this a little bit personally, right? Because they're saying that businesses in general, it, this was about a cake, I mean, about a website, but they're saying that businesses in general can say, hey, you know, I know you're married to a woman down the block, you can't come to my store. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, that's bad. Yeah, it's, it, it's bad. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely bad, and I, I do take it personally, but I don't, I'm not letting it make me bitter. Right. Oh, right? I'm not I'm not letting it um, get a check for her from <laughs> later on. Get a check I'm for not her letting on. it consume me because there's you know, there's laws out there, so many things that happen. If I pay attention and I let everything right. that bothers me that's going on with LGBTQ community bother me personally, 
that's not good for me, right? I have to learn how to let these things go. I have to learn how to acknowledge them. I have to learn how to figure out how they're making me feel, how I'm getting ready to behave. But then I have to learn how to let it go so that I can move forward, right, and make a difference. Because if I don't, then I'm just going to sit in my bitterness. And that's not helpful. And this is important to note. Um, both guests today, both guest hosts today, have in a uh, uh, bone to pick with this ruling because attorney John Rose is on the board of a LGBTQ school. I was in trouble with that. Sorry. In New Haven, a new school that will be opening in when? September? Proud Academy. Hopefully going to open actually in, in Ansonia in September. Okay, Ansonia. I'm sorry. I got it wrong. So as a therapist, you know, what are you going to tell your, your, your clients, um, Nicole, that come to you about this? Like, how do you how do you counter this? What do you tell them to do? You know, and, and as, a, as a board member of this new school, what would you be telling the students, John? I'll let you start first, Nicole. Well, when it comes down to my clients, right? For, well, one of the things is the clients that I work with are part of the trans community. So we also have to look at how they are, they're pulled out of the LGBT community. So their issues are, you know, they're, they're more tough. They're tougher than what's happening with the LGBT community. But what I tell my clients is, right, how do I build you up? How do, you know, what is it that you're able to do to kind of get out and be able to kind of take charge of this? You can't change for one person, right? You need a group of people. But my clients, I help them understand there are things that you can change. There are not things. There are things that you cannot change. But how do I build you up? How do I build your self-esteem and your self-confidence so that no matter what happens, is happening, you're right, you're mm-hmm. still good. You're not sitting in your own bitterness. Exactly. And about uh, uh, Attorney Rose, I mean, you're going to be ha- dealing with a bunch of students soon who, who are lost and, and uh, uh, attacked by different laws around the United States, hopefully not in Connecticut because we live in a, a more intelligent state. But what do you think? Last time I was here, you met a young man who's going to be one of those students who is a spectacularly bright, mm-hmm. incredibly amazing young fellow who believes in himself. The thing about the school is it's going to give an opportunity to young people to believe in themselves, to believe that they are good enough to be whatever they need to be. That's what schools ought to do. Take your kid, send him to the library every day, every part of his life. Let them read. Let them learn let them believe that there is a lot of problem in this country, but you don't have to be part of the problem when you can be part of the solution, part of the opportunity to be better than the idiot who's sitting on the Supreme Court ruling against you from his, the seat of his pants about something he knows nothing about. Thank God for places like Kansas who said to the Supreme Court with the, with the abortion statute, shove it. It's amazing um, what's happening these days. Um, But I want to end this segment with a uh, statement from Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Shout out to the Bronx, New York. This is a statement from the bench that she made in dissent from this majority opinion that is basically gutting gay rights. There used to be a time when black people weren't protected by federal law. And interracial marriage can still be overturned by this court, by the way. (laughs) If challenged. It's not written in federal law. So technically, you know, they can overturn interracial marriage tomorrow. And nothing anybody could do about it except pass a law uh, countering that. Anyway, Sotomayor said the following. LGBTQ people have existed for all of human history. And as surely as they have existed, others have sought to deny their existence and to exclude them from public life. Those who would subordinate LGBTQ people have often done so with the backing of law. And that includes black people as well. So I, I was very proud that she said that in a speaking dissent from the Supreme Court. You know what that is. Uh, That's unheard of. That's unheard of. It's never done. She, it was said angrily, I hope. Mm. <laughs> and on that note, it's time to take another commercial break. But don't worry. Jamal show commercial breaks rarely include a commercial. What we do instead is play some refreshing indie music. This time it's going to be a song called Rehema, big song in Africa right now, by Mex Cortez, the greatest rapper in Africa, and a friend. After the break, we'll do our best to get Jimmy in with us to talk about a book. And I'm going to talk a little bit about reparations because that's happening, by the way, in California. Hey. All right, let's see if we can get Max Cortez to play. Black in this. Fine girl, when you come around, you problematic like always. Okay, sugar, cut to you, don't flake and find an alternative for your ways. 
Life is for the living here at the Jamal Show, the place to get, no, the place where we brand intelligence and then put it out into the world. That song was Rehema by Max Cortez, the greatest rapper in Africa. Check him out on all of your <coughs> streaming platforms. You won't be sorry. Now, before I uh, wait for my good friend Jimmy to call in, I just wanted to make a, a statement about something that's happening in California. I usually stay away from the topic of uh, reparations because it just seems so um, unachievable. Mm-hmm and hard to um, pragmatically process. But you got to hear this. Check out what's happening in California. I couldn't, I couldn't ignore this. What do we want? Win! On the same day the U.S. Supreme Court struck down affirmative action, California has finalized its report on reparations for black residents. The nearly 1,100-page report, two years in the making, the study details what it describes as ongoing and compounding harms experienced by African Americans as a result of slavery and its lingering effects on American society today. The report lists over 100 recommendations on how black Californians can be made whole, including the state formally apologizing, return property unjustly seized from black residents, end over policing and mass incarceration, and wellness centers in historically black neighborhoods. Though the report recommends the legislature determine a dollar amount, the task force experts estimate each eligible black Californian could receive up to $1.2 million, costing the state $800 billion nearly three times its yearly budget okay okay all right so so before everyone goes crazy and starts moving to california um um this was clearly a report put out by gavin newsom who they they say, they say that the democrats don't have a bench after joe biden but I, I actually think that gavin newsom's trying to make a strong stand robert kennedy's son is thinking about running well, not thinking about running. He is running. Okay, he is running. Uh, famous anti-vaxxer. Very intelligent guy, though. Um, very much in the fitness. Um, so let's get the elephant out of the room first. This was a report put together by black people saying that black people should get money. That's how it looks from the outside. You know, I've, I, obviously Gavin Newsom is going to be a run for president sooner or later. And he knows that black people make up the majority of the Democratic Party. They're the base. They're the foundation. They're the reason why Joe Biden won. Um, what do you make of the reparations thing, uh, Attorney Rose? First off, let me tell you that this is not the first time. There's a small community in Cleveland, Ohio, I just don't know the name of it, that took a vote to do just exactly that for reparations, passed the vote, and I think the process is actually ongoing there. So this is and they are, they, way past time, way past And I time. believe they're doing something like this in Tulsa mm-hmm. for the Black Wall Street riots. 
Um, there are actually two or three people still alive. Right. right. Uh, it's funny because they were on um, ABC News and they were like, yeah, we're, we're, we're actually staying alive to get this this, this, this money. You know, they're like 95 and 98 and they're like, no, I'm going to be alive to get this money. You know what I'm saying? And they used those people that, was still, that are still alive to... Um, to, to bring the lawsuit and the, to, to create this policy. But let's be honest with okay, I, I think some of these things might actually happen, but not the $1.2 million, right? I mean, that adds up to over $800 billion, which is four times the California. It, this could be a problem for the governor to sign, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it sounds, it's, it's 1,100 pages. It sounds like something that will be go down in history. I wouldn't mind reparations, but I think it, it's impossible to actually activate. What do you think? Any thoughts on this, Nicole? Any? I think I think it's a good start, and I think what what it was what where did you say it was happening before? Right outside Cleveland or in Cleveland. Okay, so we got yeah. we got Cleveland, we got California, and based on how things seem to be going state by state, and people following behind the other states, then you know I feel like it's a good start. So here's the thing: I believe that black people deserve it, but I think philosophically it's wrong, and here's why. <clears throat> They pay you $1.2 million, and then they're like, okay, you're paid off. So everything's even now, right? <laughs> what, what number of, what, what amount of money pay, makes up for that? That's like, you know, I beat my wife last week, then I gave her $150, and it was all cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, at what point, what do we say is enough? What, what makes it $1.2 million? Well, why not $3 million? $1.2 Well, I mean, yes, yes, again, 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 the money would be well used. But I actually liked affirmative action because it was effective. It got me out. I mean, no, I probably would have got out anyway, Dr. Judd's son. But anyway, what I'm saying is I kind of like when policies make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen again, increases in quality. When you just pay somebody off, you don't owe them anything anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like you could pay off your, your lawnmower guy and then go tell him to F himself and deal done. He's going to walk away smiling because he got paid, right? So that, that's that's kind of how I feel about this. It's like, well, America kind of gets away with everything by paying people, right? But does everybody solve any problems? <laughs> there is that. Uh, okay, okay. Do we have someone else online? All right, so moving on. Many of you know that I've got a great friend named Jimmy. I've known Jimmy for about 30 years. We've always been close. We've always been close enough for me to tell you that Jimmy's a special kind of guy. The kind of guy that is down to earth, rustic and wise. He's... Been around a bit, and he's the kind of guy who grows on you because he's easygoing and unique. Sit around Jimmy for a while, and he'll tell you all about the theories about the universe for hours, and that's him just getting started. Jimmy is that wise man who never left the top of a mountain once he got there, and you kind of wonder how he got there in the first place. The most interesting thing about Jimmy is that he has this relationship with books. Sorry. Jimmy loves books, and he loves football too, but I digress. And if you want to hear something special, you'll listen to Jimmy talk about a book he's read because he's sure to go into a tangent that will be interesting as hell. Not that hell is interesting. It's just a figure of speech, people. So I thought I'd do us all a favor and add a new segment called Jimmy with Books. Now, I think I can get this right. I got to write the whole show, man. I'm going to go play dice. All right, Jimmy, you there? Are you there, Jimmy? What's up, my friend? I'm here. All right, so I'm going to let you talk for a quick minute, and then I'm going to ask you some questions. But first, do you have a book? But after that, I want you to talk about the affirmative action thing, too. So what's your book for today? What's up? Okay, the, the book is an article today by a guy named Professor Randall Kennedy, who teaches at the Harvard Law School. And the article is titled, The Truth Is Many Americans Just Don't Want Black People to Get Ahead. And it is basically about, it's an article he wrote before the Supreme Court's uh, college affirmative action decision. He wrote it about a week before. And he talks about in history how whenever anything happens for black people seeking rights, demanding rights, it was always called reverse racism. It was always called reverse preference for black people over white people. And he boils down the whole thing, the whole debate we've been having about the Supreme Court, the whole debate boils down to the simple fact that a big, large group of Americans don't want black folks to get ahead. And the reason why it's so important now is because we've just come out of having a black president. 
And that's why there's a large group of Americans who have a vested interest, and, and, and Clarence Thomas, of course, who have a vested interest in rolling us back. And that's, to me, that cuts to the heart of the matter. So. Um, I just have one thing to say about that, and that's wow. Um, you've been scouring the newspapers, obviously. That is a very good article. Apparently, uh, Attorney John Rose is familiar with this man. Are you? Oh, I am. Long uh, time ago. What do you What do you know about him? Um, well, again, you have to delve into my age. <laughs> and he was around when I was coming up in the civil rights movement, such as it was. Randall's been around. A good writer, good good brain, good okay. thinker. Um, Maybe that's a, 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 a article you can read later on when you get home. Uh, I'm going I'm to give Jimmy a book to read too. Oh, oh, Jimmy! It's called Freedom's Dominion. Jimmy, you've got another book suggestion. This one's called Freedom's Dominion. Freedom's Do you Dominion hear? You, you hear this, man? Jefferson Cowie, a particular area it. of Alabama, and delves into the whole notion of why the slavers and the people of white, of white ilk today believe that slavery was appropriate because they believe in the Jeffersonian Democrats, Jimmy. all of whom were slave owners. So their position was, well, the Constitution was written by people who were slave owners who specifically said black people had no rights, so therefore we're, we're good. You, you, it's the Constitution. We're supposed to be allowed to have slavery. That thinking pervades way too many white people in the South to this day. So, Jimmy, I know you can't match that, but tell me what your thoughts are on what he just said. Uh, you have a new book uh, t suggested to you. I'll send it to you sometime this week. Um, I want to know your personal take on this affirmative action thing because you were in school with me, but you weren't on the affirmative action. So what do you think about this being an African? You're an African, man. You're not an American. What do you think? African, I can just look at America and I see a circular, cyclical. In After Reconstruction, the Union Army put its troops in the South to ensure that black people could vote. Black people voted. You had more Congress people of, of African-American descent in 1879 than, you ha than you've had since. After that large group of progress, that large march forward, in comes white American society to push back black people back. In, in the late 70s, you had... Black people starting to make money after the civil rights movement. Black people living as families, starting to do well. In comes Ronald Reagan and George Bush, pushes black people back. Some people say they planted crack. I don't really know about that. I'm not going to say that. But they pushed black people back with the criminal justice system. Now we've just had our first black president who had two terms and was universally seen as great. Is it a surprise that all this stuff is happening now? Donald Trump comes up. The Supreme Court rolls back all these different rules. It's because they know over time, if you make it hard for black kids to go to college, it's only a matter of time, 20, 30, 40 years. We were in college 30 years ago. 30 years from now, we're going to be back. We're going to be pushed back to, where, to, before, to what we were before Barack Obama. So in America, if you look at the, the arc of American history, you see the same thing. Whenever black people start to make progress as a group and you have something like a president, something like a civil rights bill, something like Reconstruction, you have some obvious uh, token of black advancement. The society consistently comes up to push black people backwards. And this is no different. And I used to think Uncle Tom was just a term. Like, oh, yeah, that guy's an Uncle Tom. I had no idea how dangerous an Uncle Tom really is until Clarence Thomas. He made me see how dangerous that person is. It's not just a, a term. It's not just a foot-shuffling house Negro. It's dangerous. And without this Negro and without the Asian uh, plaintiffs of this Supreme Court case, none of this could happen. So the Asians allowed themselves to be tools of white society, and then Uncle Thomas is a very dangerous Negro, and you must take him seriously. So, Jimmy, give me your email address, and then I'm going to say a couple of things because we're running out of time. Put out your email address in case people want to write you right quick. JamesMwangi.fitness. JamesMwangi.fitness. James, M-U-W-O-N-G-E dot F-I-T-N-E-S-S. -S. I'm a personal trainer, but I also work with mental fitness, which is important. And I'll speak to you later on today. Now, just in case y'all didn't know, I, I go through those speeches every day on Marco Polo. 
<laughs> like every morning he's got like something that's eating him and it's always just as sharp um while I have a little time I want to thank a listener who sent me two antique books um from their mother's collection very beautiful they sent me Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington and Uncle Tom antique books Uncle Tom's Cabin Ooh. by uh Harriet Beecher Stowe an original copy um, that they sent me um, just a couple days ago. And it just so happens that I live across the street from Harriet Beecher Stowe's house. So that's pretty interesting. What a, what a coincidence. So thank you to that listener. And thanks to all listeners, all 22 or 23 of y'all, wherever you are. Um, we really love you. And without you, we wouldn't have anyone to talk to. And that would look really strange. So please take care of yourself. And please take care of somebody else. And hopefully next week we won't have technical problems. Two weeks. Two weeks from now we should be back on the air. And with Dr. Mack, unfortunately. Have a good day, sir. You can play me. Never in a million years did I ever expect my healthy daughter, Vienna, to fall asleep watching TV and tragically never wake up. She was only two years old and this happened at our home in Homedale, New Jersey in 2017. Her death was categorized as S-U-D-C, Sudden Unexplained Death in Childhood. Essentially, this is SIDS, but in kids 1 to 18 years old. Never heard of S-U-D-C? Well, neither did my husband and I, and we are both physicians. Please visit www.vienna.team to learn more about our sweet daughter, Vienna's story, our family's 501c3 nonprofit, Team Vienna for SUDC Awareness, and how you can get involved to help uncover these unexplained tragedies with us. As a team, I know we can get this done. Thank you so much for your support. I'm Vienna's mommy, Dr. Denise Wunderler, founder of Team Vienna and co-founder of the SUDC Coalition. Thank you so much. You're listening to 97.5 FM, The Power.